All right, so uh, welcome. We're starting a brand new series called The Good Initiative, and this is what we're going to be doing for the next six weeks. I'm really excited to talk about some of the stuff that we just talked about, I talked about on the video uh, a moment ago. God is doing an amazing thing right now in our church, and we are at a pivotal moment in the history of our church. I'm going to talk to you about that in just a little while. But I want to give you a tool over the next six weeks. It's going to be this booklet right now. You guys can go ahead and bring all those out. And uh, this is something I just want you to kind of hold on to. Let me tell you what is in this. Number one, we have some vision pages just to tell you about what's happening, the history of our church, investing in grace as a whole, you know, talking about the things that have happened here. Because, you know, we believe that, uh, that you need to have a return on what you invest. And so a couple of things I want you to see, just some statistics. Number one, decisions for, check this, everybody listen to this. Decisions for Christ since COVID happened. 1,144 decisions for Christ since COVID happened. Isn't that amazing? I mean, that's an incredible statistic for us. Um, 61% of people who attend Grace are in small groups or in classes at the moment, which we would love. Think great about that. Uh, New givers in the last 24 months, we've had 1,476 new people sign up to give at Grace in the last uh, 24 months. It's amazing. Uh, For those of you who are online, you're part of this next statistic, 128 120% increase in Grace Online subscribers after returning to in-person services at COVID. Since uh, we did the last giving initiative, which was six years ago, uh, let me tell you, this is my favorite one though. Number of times someone at Grace has heard the gospel online and in services since our generosity initiative, 1,211,000 times we've been able to put that out. Isn't that incredible? Uh, Another statistic for you real quick, Uh, growth in attendance just since uh, COVID, right? This is just since COVID, we have grown 39%, not just here at this campus, but actually at all campuses, which has been fantastic. God's been doing some amazing things in the church. And so I want you just to use this book as a tool for you to kind of get to know a little bit more of what's going on. We've got message notes. I know that some of you guys bring your own journals and you write down stuff in your journals. Feel free to continue to do that, but you can also have that in in this packet right here. Uh, we have weekly group study content in here that will be fantastic for you as well. And there's a commitment card as well. This is not something we're asking you guys to do anything with today, but just look at it, pray over it, and that's what we're asking you to do today. Also, if everyone will look up here, the dates in the book are now wrong because of a wonderful hurricane that we were supposed to launch this last week. So it's about a week late. So right here, this page on the same page, is actually all of the updated dates. Pop this on your refrigerator, then you will know what is happening at Grace this fall. All right, um, God has got us at an amazing place right now, and we wanna do his will, we wanna walk his way, we wanna go where he wants us to go. Every once in a while, somebody comes up to me and, and asks the question, um, with a, honestly, with a little bit of desperation in their voice, they'll ask the question, how do I know that I'm not gonna miss God's will for my life? And of course, I think the reason why they're asking the question is because there's a part of us that wants, because we're Christians, a part of us that wants to be the, exactly the kind of person God wants us to be, that we wanna maximize what it means to live life in this life the way God wanted us to live. And so what I'm gonna do at the end of this message is I'm gonna give you a very clear way, two very powerful ways to miss God's will for your life. Uh, yes, I said that right, to actually miss God's will for your life And so, um, but these two ways that it's very easy for us to miss God's will, at the same time, if we surrender them and we're able to overcome this in our life, then I think we'll be in a place to receive exactly what God wants for us 
in this world. It's not complicated. It's not difficult. In fact, you're going to look at those and you're going to go, that's exactly what I need to do. Why? Because these two things are not just about a generosity initiative. These two things are things that will help you in all of your life. All right? They'll help you in all your life. So let's take a look at our scripture passage for today. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and 8, 10, and then some other scriptures that go along with it to clarify these, uh, this passage. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 is the Apostle Paul writing to uh, the church in Corinth, and he has he is introducing his own generosity initiative in the first century. So if you go, man, these are things that you know, happen all the time. Well, they don't happen all the time. The last time we did them was six years ago. But I will say this, they have happened throughout history. Why? Because before God wants to do something great through us, he wants to do something great in us. And a lot of times that requires sacrifice and that requires us saying to him, God, I'll give you everything that I have. Because the Bible teaches us from the very beginning that the earth is the Lord's and everything inside of it is his. You, I, he owns me, he owns you, he owns our stuff, he owns everything. So our job is to constantly stop, you know, trying to consolidate power with ourselves and push it away and say, God, I want you to be in charge. I want you to be in control. Second Corinthians chapter eight, verse nine says this, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, Yet for your sake, he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. The first thing I want you to see is this word right here, grace, and the audience to who he's writing to. Right now, he's writing to Christians. And by the way, if you're not a Christian in the room right now, or you're not a Christian online and you're watching, one of the things I want you to realize is that much of what we do as Christians is for you. We want to become the kind of people that God wants us to be because when we become those people, when we encounter you, when we interact with you, we will love you well. It is the Christian who is not walking the way that Jesus wants them to walk that you have probably had offense with, that you've had struggles with, that you've wrestled with, all right? For you, watch this, you, the Christians in the room, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. The word grace means unmerited favor, Another word for that, another phrase for that is undeserved blessings. So he says, for you, Christian, you know the undeserved blessings of the Lord Jesus Christ that he's given to our lives. Undeserved, why? Because we're sinners and we're separated from him. But yet at the same time, God, because he's a good father, desires for his children to have good gifts, right? Look at what he says. So that though he was rich, this is Jesus talking about Jesus Christ, that he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor. The first thing I want you to see is this word rich and these two words, rich and poor. This is not talking about money at all, right? Though he was rich, meaning in his experiences with the father and the Holy Spirit and the son in heaven, prior to coming down and Jesus putting on flesh, although he was in a situation that was perfect, one of the ways in which in theology we describe God is that he is the happy God, that he is completely self-satisfied. He is joyful, peaceful, holy, perfect, loving, kind. They don't fight among themselves. There is unity there. And so he left all that was a blessing for him in heaven to come into the world for our sake, for your sake, that he might become poor. Poor financially, sure, but poor in the sense that he took on human flesh. Philippians says, taking on the very nature of a servant, right? He became nothing, so that he would walk around with us, had nothing, and then he was mistreated by us, abused by us for the purpose of giving to us. So the first thing I want you to see is that God himself, the Father, is a giver. 
He gave us the best possible gift he could give us, and that was his son, Jesus. And he didn't hold back when he saw that we mistreated him, when we beat him, when we put a a crown of thorns on his head, when we hung him on a cross, when we made sure that he was humiliated enough, when we mocked him with a sign above his head that said, King of the Jews, God still stood back and said, I'm going to be patient. I'm going to be forbearing. I'm not going to destroy them. I'm going to do this. Why? Because God loves you and because he is a giver. And God always, always takes the first step with you. Listen, again, if you're not a Christian here online or here in the room and you're interested in spiritual things, I believe that is because God has already started the work inside of you that he's going to do. And all your job is, is to respond to that work and to see what God has for you in this life. So God gives up everything. He gives up heaven. He gives up all of this stuff because he's a giver and because he wants to take the first step towards us. Romans 5, 8 says it like this. But God, but God, God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. So, so not when we humbled ourselves or got our ducks in a row or figured out how to walk right with him, but while we were in rebellion against him, while we were doing our own thing. Because we all have, most of us have a while we were still sinners story. We know what it was like to, you know, not walk with Jesus. And not walking with Jesus led to all kinds of problems that we have in our life and pains and insecurities and fears and anxieties and all those things that come along, the things that we collect along life's journey. But God showed his great love for us in that this way, Christ died for us. God, the father sent him into the world. And we all have a while we were still sinner story. My my story, my while I was a sinner story was that, you know, having not grown up in the church, grown up outside of the Christian faith, I didn't have anybody talking to me about who God was and his relationship to me. You know, when someone would ask the question, and I remember just occasionally someone would say, do you believe in God? And I'd be like, sure, I believe in God. Yeah, I think the man upstairs is awesome. I mean, that was about it, you know? And that was the whole, that was the whole theology that I walked around with. But really what I walked around with was what I think most people in Central Florida walk around with, a desire to fix something inside of them that they don't really know is broken a desire inside them to walk around and try to figure it out and to try this strategy and that strategy and this strategy and that strategy just to see what works. And so for me, the strategy was essentially just hedonism. I'm gonna do what I want, when I want, how I want, and I don't care what anyone else thinks. That's just, that was my life. And so I did and I made decisions and I had consequences and hardship occurred and challenges occurred. And man, it was just really, really awful. I got to be at a place where I was filled with anxiety and depression in such a way that I wasn't even sure I wanted to live. In fact, no, that's not even, that's an understatement. I knew that I did not want to live anymore. So we all have these while we were still center stories. And I think there are tons of people walking around Central Florida right now, and they're trying to figure out what it is that they need. And they don't know what it is, but they're just trying one strategy after another to figure out something for their life. And it wasn't until a Christian came along and she told me that God loved me. And there was something different between the question that was asked, do you believe in God? Sure, of course I do. You know, why not? And the statement, God loves you, it was personalized for me in a way that had never been personalized before. And because of that, I was able to think about that and, and, and start ruminating on that and asking myself the question to like, what is it, if it's really true that there is God, and I do believe that, but if, 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 if there's a real truth that he actually cares about me, that should change everything. And it did. It did. It changes everything. And, and again, if you're far from God, this will change you too. You just have to te- keep taking steps towards him and saying, here I am. I want to know more. Here I am. I want to know more. Here I am. I want to know 
more. I think it was somebody who came to me and they did good to my life and that's what made the change. Nobody presented some four spiritual laws. There's nothing wrong with that, but nobody presented that to me. Nobody walked up to me and said, you know, let me tell you about Jesus. This girl loved on me and cared for me. She brought good into my life. Every encounter that I had with her, I walked away going, she's awesome. Why is she so great? And I have no idea how to answer that question. And, and I knew that when I met her parents, that they expected the good to come out of my life. They were doing good for me. They were expecting the good for me. And then eventually they proclaimed the good to me. And when they expected the good, they said, God's made you for so much more than what you are right now. It was a high school dropout. I was angry, violent, frustrated, hateful, lustful, horrible. And they could look through that and see and expect something more and say, there's more that God has for you, Mike. There is more that you were made for. And, uh, and it was compelling. It was compelling. I just needed one person in my life to come along and say, I expect more from you, that God wants to do more in you. And when they told me about him, that he loved me, it began to change everything. And this was God's purpose for sending Jesus into the world to show us that no matter how we would treat him, no matter how harsh we would think about him, that even when we were negligent and didn't think about him at all, God would love us. But this goes again to show that God always goes first. He's always the one to fix our relationship with us. He's the one to change us, not expect us to change first. He's the one to come and say, I love you. I'm for you. Have you ever been in a relationship with somebody where, and of course you have, uh, but when you're in a relationship with somebody that you love really closely, and uh, it could be a friend, it could be a spouse, whoever it is, but somebody that's important in your life, and you come to a conflict. I'm not talking about like, are we going to go to Luke's or are we going to go somewhere else for dinner? Like, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm like, you know, what, what, those moments when you just hit heads and it's a material difference between you two. You're like, I don't like you and I don't like you right now. And you have that conflict. Like, how do you solve that conflict? How do you deal with that conflict? Well, the way that you solve it is that somebody has to go first. Because if someone doesn't go first, you're at an impasse and that relationship will eventually implode. It will die over time. It requires one person to go. And God knew that. And that's why he sent Jesus into the world. We all have to, in those moments, when we're in conflict with somebody else, we have to be the first one to be kind. You're like, I don't want to be kind. I'm right. And if I'm right, I don't have to be kind because I'm right. No, no, no. Because eventually that mindset in two people lead to the dissolution of a marriage or leads to a dissolution of a friendship. You will have to walk away until and unless somebody goes first. We'll have to be the first one to be kind. So one of us will have to be the first one to apologize. One of us is gonna have to be the first one to let go of the grievance. One of us is going to have to be the first one to see it from the other person's perspective. And one of us is going to have to choose to be the first one to start the healing. And the one of us that did that was God. He saw it from your perspective. He understands the pain that you've walked in. He knows the background that you come from. He knows all that you have struggled with. And he said, my solution is Jesus. And he will be your hope and your strength. But if, if no one goes first, nothing gets resolved. It takes courage to be the first person to act. 
It does. I mean, when you are right and someone else is wrong, but you love that person more than being right, you have to have the courage to break the stalemate. You can be prideful and say, I'm right. I'll just continue to be right. Or you can say, I'm going to break the stalemate here. I'll be the first one to forgive, the first one to understand, the first one to be brave, the first one not to hold it against them. That's what forgiveness is. And the Bible shows us that we forgive others the way that he has forgiven us. Not because we were right, but because he is bigger than us. Verse nine says it like this again. For you know that the grace, the undeserved blessings of God through the Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich in heaven, yet for sake he came down, took on the flesh, walked as a man, was mistreated by us and became poor. So that, you might through his poverty become rich. Jesus had everything. And the apostle Paul's talking to us about that right now because he's setting up this passage that even though this doesn't have anything to do with money, the next thing that he's gonna talk about does. And he's saying, listen, what you do with your life and with your stuff is the same thing Jesus should do or did with his life and his stuff. He took his stuff that he had all this, he could have sat in heaven with the father and just said, let him figure it out, God. Let him figure it out. The father was like, no, no, you're going to go down and it's going to be awful for you. And I love you with all my heart. You are my one and only son, but I'm going to give you to them and they're going to tear you to pieces. But there's no other way because there's an impasse and they're not willing to come. We'll be brave. We'll be the ones who will do it and we'll take the first step. So he became poor for us so that we might become spiritually rich in faith. That's what happened. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, watch this, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So that, so that through, go to the next one of these. So that you through his poverty might become rich. In, in other words, as he humbles himself before us and becomes the example that sacrifice is the way that you change lives, his sacrifice here becomes for us here what makes us rich, not financially, spiritually, emotionally, in all the ways that really matter, God changed us. And in changing us in that way, it was patterned for us that that's how we change the world Six years ago, I gathered together 500 people in the church. This was all the people in the church, including the children. Now Grace has thousands of people, three campuses, an online campus, and thousands of people that attend. And in those 500 people six years ago, I said, I believe in the next three to five years, God is calling Grace to become a completely different kind of place. And look where we are now those people sacrificed tremendously. And we're sitting in a building right now that we wouldn't have been able to do if they hadn't done that. We'd still be at Edgewater High School uh, in an auditorium. But God opened up facility for us. And he opened up vision for us and direction for us. But it was based upon the sacrifice of people who went before you. If you're here within the last five years, it's because of their faithfulness. It's because of what they did for you that allowed you to be sitting here today. And I believe we're in another one of those material moments that what we do right now will have a massive impact on what takes place for the next five or six years of grace. 
The world in central Florida is falling apart. There are spiritual orphans that call themselves followers of Jesus that are detached from the church that need a home again. But they don't have a home, not because they've rejected Jesus, but because the church hasn't done a great job with providing them a home. And so we're restoring that reputation. Not just us, some other churches that we're talking to as well. But we want to be a place where it's different. A place where the good news of the gospel is once again good news. That moralism does not drive the agenda that politics are not front and center and social issues the main issue. The main issue is Jesus and it's the gospel, period. Anything else is idolatry. And no wonder the church has faltered because of that. And so what we do is we sacrifice like those did six years ago. My daughter and I were driving down the road um, last week. She told me a story. We were coming back from uh, Halloween Horror Nights. Yeah, I go. And... uh, it's the funniest thing too, guys, when I'm walking around and a person from Grace sees me, they're like, like, why are you here? I'm like, why are you here? You know, yeah, okay, all right, all right. So, so I don't love it, I gotta tell you, but I've gone for the last 11 years in a row. I'm almost done with it, I'm almost done with it, but it seems like all my children want to go and I'm like, I just, you know, this, my daughter's 14, I didn't want, this is her first year, I didn't want her to go by herself, so I took five 14-year-old girls to, uh, to it was just the most atrocious night. And, uh, and yet, you know, we had this great time, we had this amazing, you know, we laughed and had good times and, and I'm driving back and then she gets real serious, she goes, hey, I wanna tell you about something that happened a while back that I never told you about, and I was like, okay, um, which you never want to hear from your 14-year-old. And, uh, and uh, she, she says, she said, I invited a friend of mine to church. And, um, and I said, well, that's awesome. And she said, yeah, I had heard that her church was having troubles. And so I just said, you know, like if your family's looking for a place, you should come check out Grace. She said the first weekend she didn't come. The second weekend she ended up coming. And, and uh, I said, that's fantastic. And she said, you know what she told me recently? She said, this is about a year ago that this had taken place. She said that recently she came to me and she said, if it wasn't for you inviting me to Grace Church, she's a middle, she was a middle schooler and, and a young high schooler. If it wasn't for you inviting me to Grace Church, I wouldn't be a Christian today. And guys, that's what we're talking about. I mean, it is just as simple as what, and I know what she really meant was not that Grace Church changed her, but that what Jesus is doing inside Grace Church changed her life. What God is doing inside this church is changing people's lives. And that's what we're talking about. But there's still so many people that even know that we exist in Central Florida, believe it or not. People that live miles from here, like two, three miles from here, don't even know that we're here. And so our opportunities out there are massive for us to be able to reach people who are far from God and help them take a step that will change their entire life. When somebody did that for me, listen to this. It changed my wife and my relationship because I chose a wife that was a follower of Jesus. It changed our children who are all followers of Jesus. It helped us start a church. You're here today because one 16-year-old girl who was really cute invited me to church and said, Jesus has more for you. You have no idea how that changed me and the trajectory of what's happening here. And all it requires is us to be sacrificial, to follow Jesus and to trust that what we're doing really does matter. It matters so much. Sometimes, someday, your voice will be the voice that speaks into somebody else like that, and it will change their whole destiny because Jesus will use your words to transform their hearts. 
The apostle Paul describes this as the way that God has sacrificed for us so that we may sacrifice for others. He he was rich in heaven, became poor for us, mistreated here so that we would be freed from our sin. So we have been blessed in this life to be a blessing to the world. And I want you to see an example of this from the Old Testament. In the book of Genesis, in the the 12th chapter, we we are introduced to a character who many of us know as Abraham. But his name is not Abraham at first in the Bible. It's Abram, A-B-R-A-M. And Abram is the son of a priest who is a a priest in a false religion, an an idolatrous religion in Mesopotamia. And what's happening is they're living their life just like everybody's living their life. And then one day God comes to Abram and he does something amazing. Let's take a look at it. First verse. Genesis 12.1, the Lord had said to Abram, here's what I want you to do, Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land that I will show you. Now let's back up to where we were last week. If you were here last weekend, we talked about a vision that Ezekiel was given. And this vision was called the the vision of of the Valley of Dry Bones. And I told a story about how Nebuchadnezzar, who was the greatest king of the day and had the most powerful army, swept through Israel and destroyed it, destroyed God's temple, destroyed everything in it. Took tens of thousands of people are dead, marched thousands out of Jerusalem. And what he did was next, a way of stealing from them their identity. He marched them into different parts of, he, he took them from their families, from their language, from their religion and from their place. And he scattered them all over the Babylonian empire because that's how you steal someone's identity from them. Look what God does. He does the very, very same thing the wicked king does, but he does it with the heart of a father, not to destroy, but to rebuild. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country, your place, your people, your culture that you live in, your father's household, your family. And I want you to leave your land and I want you to go to a place that I'm gonna show you. Where is it, God? I'm not gonna tell you. I just want you to go and start walking east. And one day I'll show you where this land is. And then three chapters later, Abram wrestles with this. It's a big ask. But three chapters later, Abram responds like this. He says, I will go, God. And the Bible says for the very, very first time in all of the scriptures, it says his faith, his trust in God was credited to him as righteousness. Meaning it was the first time in the Bible, it's common to us as Christians, But it was the first time in the Bible where he said man's faith and his obedience will be what makes him right with me. And he does this, but he takes him just like Nebuchadnezzar. He takes everything from him in order to rebuild him. Sometimes what God wants to do is he wants to do something in us first before he does something huge through us. And the bigger the thing that God wants to do the more sacrifice of the person or the man that he's going to ask. And he asks, I want everything from you. And not only does he no longer call him Abram, but he renames him and says, now you will be called Abraham, which means the father of many nations, which means that you will have more descendants than the sand on the seashore. And at this point in time, he had none. He's like, I'm going to change your life 100%. I'm going to completely change it. I want you to see some parallels between that right now. Here's what I think God is doing right now at Grace. 
I think the challenge for us is that he is asking us to sacrifice. Just like the 500 did for you, now we have thousands that can sacrifice and say, we're ready to go where God wants us to go. We're ready for grace to become what God wants it to be. But it requires us to show up, right? It requires us to sacrifice. Look, he's saying, here's what I'll do for you. So I'm gonna ask you to sacrifice, but here's what I'm gonna do for you. Verse two, I will make you into a great nation, Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So here's a couple things I'm gonna do for you. I'm gonna give you descendants. What does that mean? I'm gonna give you a legacy. I'm gonna give you a legacy. And those of us who are part of grace will have a legacy because we're gonna see hundreds and hundreds more people, thousands of people come to Christ over the, over the coming years. And I will bless you personally. As you walk with me, I will be with you. There's no promise here that you're gonna make massive amounts of cash. There's promise here that what's most important will be true for you because you and I know there are plenty of rich people who are absolutely depressed. But you will have me and I will have you. I will make your name great. This is what God's doing right now. I mean, we see it happening right now. I was at the RDV Sportsplex last week, right? And uh, on, I think it was like a Tuesday night. Yeah, it was Tuesday night. And I was just meeting some guys from church and we were gonna go take a class, right? But we were standing down waiting for some other guys to show up in the lobby. And within five minutes, seven or eight people came up and said, hey, Pastor Mike, I just wanna say hi, I'm so-and-so. We've been here for two weeks. We've been here for four weeks. We've been here for a year. We've been here for 11 months. And they said, all of them said the same kind of things. We're so grateful of your, for your faithfulness over the last 20 years in building grace. It is a place where we have found a home and it's changing our lives. And guys, that is what it, that's not me. That's what we do here, the scriptures coming alive. And that's what it means to develop a name. I believe that God is raising up grace right now in Central Florida for the purpose of being a place of teaching and healing for those who are hurting in Central Florida. I believe that the way that we spread the gospel best is not screaming at people. I believe that we share the gospel best by showing the world a more beautiful story of who God is. That he is a father who loves them. Man, when you've been outside the church and, some, and, and you realize for the first time that God loves you, I don't know how to describe it with words. It changes everything. But I'm gonna make your name great and here's what you're gonna be. My people will be a blessing. I want us to be a blessing to those around us. I want us to learn how to do good in Central Florida, how to expect the good in other people's lives because we believe it for them and to proclaim the good that the good that we believe comes from Jesus himself, that he is our chief good. But there is a danger in this and that is that we can completely miss it. I know I'm not gonna miss it, and I don't want you to miss it either. That's why we're asking for 100% engagement in this process. Listen, let me ask you a question. If somebody were to come right now, we have people like this in our church. If someone were to come right now and say, I'm gonna write a $30 million, you guys are trying to raise 30 million? I'll write a $30 million check right now. By the way, if you can write a $30 million check, I highly encourage you to do that. Seriously, like it is a legitimate good goal to do so. We're gonna reach Central Florida for Christ. But let me ask you, if someone did write the check and I was like, hey, 30 million guys, would we be done? No. Why? Because it's not about the, the money at the end. That's the secondary goal. The primary goal is your heart. 
that you're going to be the person like Abraham, that you're going to be the person that sacrifices like Jesus, who said, I was rich and I became poor for the sake of other people. I'm going to do my best to prepare the way for those who need to hear Jesus. But there is a way to miss this. Two ways in which we can miss God's plan for our life. Number one, trying to hold on to the past and trying to control the future. You should write these down for your future because this is not just about a giving initiative. This is about everything in your life. These two things are constantly things that I think about. God, I wanna make sure that I'm not trying to hold on to things from the past and I wanna try to not hold, hold, uh, control the future. Here's, here's what this looks like, trying to hold on to the past. For some of us, we walked into the room today and, and today, tomorrow, the next day, you need to let go of what you've been holding on from the past. And, and here's, here's the trap sometimes, right? You might be holding on to something that someone did to you a long time ago, whether it was that you were abused or somebody just mistreated you or lied to you. And, you, and, and this is the trap of Satan right here. You know you are right in that situation. You're 100% right. Like you're like, I know for sure I'm in the right of this situation. But because you believe that you're in the right and because you may even be in the right, you have held on to it and you've carried it with you into the present. The problem with that is that that then becomes something that deforms your life. Even if you are right, you have to be the first one to be brave and to say, I'm gonna see it from someone else's perspective. I'm gonna forgive them. I'm gonna move on. But you have to drop it. You have to leave it in the past. You have to let it go. Otherwise, everything in the present and everything in the future will continually be deformed by this thing you're holding on to. You have to let it go. There are certain things you just have to let go. My son is 19, one of my sons is 19 years old and he's gonna be married in February and he just doesn't come home at night hardly. I mean, like, like he comes home, but like he's just out all the time and my, her, his mother constantly worries about him just, you know, being out and doing, he'll come home at two, three, three o'clock, four o'clock in the morning, you know, and, and he's just out with his buddies. He's got a great friend group. I'm not worried about him. He's been awesome all this time, but they're not doing stupid things. They're just out, you know, hanging out. And so there's a part of us that want to be like, hey man, we can't sleep when you're out like that. You know, like, so you need to get it together. And his mom like did this, right? She said, she's like, you know, you know like come home at a decent time. He goes, mom, in five months, I'm going to be married. Like, I'm going to have my own family. And we both just kind of looked at each other like. <laughs> but here's what I could do. Here's what I could do. I could double down and go, well, you're in my house. You better be in by 12, man. Like, you know, somebody from the 40s. Anyway, so like, so like I could grab him. I could grab him and be like, that's what you're going to do in my household, bud. But in doing that, holding on to what is the, because he's still my boy. And no matter, like how much you're like, I want you to get out of the house. <laughs> When they do, it's sad. It's hard because we love you guys. But if I hold on to them too tightly, I'll deform our relationship. I'll mess it all up. And so we have to let go. But here's the reason why it's so hard to let go of the past. Here's the reason why. Because it's all based on fear. It's based on fear. See, what I need to realize is that I love him so much that I have to let him go. I have to take my hands off of him. You know why? Because better things are ahead for us. But if you don't believe that for your life, if you don't believe that better things are in front of you versus behind you, you'll want to hold on to the good old days. And some of you are worried about grace even right now. You're like, I'm worried about how many people are coming right now. We're going to lose our stuff. No, no, we're not going to lose anything. God's not stopping blessing us here. He's going to continue to bless us here and here and here and here as time goes on. Good is ahead, not behind.
You don't need to be afraid. But because we're afraid, it's sometimes hard to let those things go. Trust that God has better and more beautiful things for you in store in the future than in your past. And when you begin to trust that, then you can let go. And then here, trying to control the future. This is a challenge, right? This is the challenge, right? And looking to the future, here's what we want to do. We want to like organize. Some of us are like this. By the way, just so you know, you do need to plan. If you're not planning your future, that's a mistake. But what we do is when we plan the future, we hold it loosely. Because here's what happens. If we hold on to it tightly, we begin to crush everything around us. When you look at your spouse and you say, you're the thing that's going to make me whole. You place all your expectations on them and it is a crushing experience because they are not God. They're not meant to bear the weight of them fixing you. 100% Jerry Maguire got it wrong. If she completes you, you are screwing her over, okay? Because you're placing all of the expectation on her. Hold it loosely. What we do for the future is we make plans We submit those plans to the Lord, we trust, and then we watch for the surprises that God's going to bring. Why? Because we don't know. As we're walking along life, he's blessed us because blessing does not just exist here. It exists here, here, and here. And so as we're walking, God's going to show up. I had no idea that when we bought this property and then we saw the church growing, we're like, "Uh uh-oh, we're out of property. Like, like this is going to be like too tight too soon. It's going to mess up. And then all of a sudden, a surprise came. I didn't control it. I didn't ask for it but they gave us six acres, 25,000 square feet of building and $6 million of property for free without any strings or anything because they were humble, they were amazing, but mainly because God orchestrated for us. It was a surprise. None of us asked. And so what we do is when we control or over control the future, we strangle it to death. But when we hold it loosely, we're able to watch as the surprises come. Is it any like wonder to you that when you were younger and you're like, I'm so tired of dating. Listen, I'm 50, 42. And, uh, and if, if, if I, if, even if I was like, you know, if my wife passed away and I had to be single again, man, I, I can't even imagine dating in the world that you date in right now. It's awful. It's challenging. It's crazy. It's scary. Cannot even imagine. But listen, You remember when you were younger and you were dating and then finally you're just like, I'm done with them. I'm done with men. I'm done with women. I'm done with the whole thing. And then all of a sudden someone shows up. You're like, oh, I'm not done. Right? Right? And why did it happen? Because you're like, you're not strangling them. You're not showing up at dates like, hey, how are you? How many children do you want to have? You know, you're controlling things. But when you let it go, God shows up over and over again. He wants to surprise your life. You have to let it go. Hold it loosely. And so here's Paul in verse 10, and he says this, and here's my judgment. Here's what I want you guys to do as a result of this. And this is what's best for you in this matter, he says. I want you to be the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. He's talking financially here. And what he means by that is he's already asked in the first century, he's asked the church, he's like, I want you guys to give towards a project that I have. And he's like, I don't want you just to be givers. I want you to be the first among them to say, yes, we're on board. I don't want to, I don't want to raise $30 million. <laughs> I don't. I want to blow through $30 million. I want us to come back on the other side of that and go, look what the Lord did. You know why? Because he showed up and did things we couldn't see. But the way that that happens is we sacrifice and we say, God, I'm willing for you to do something in me before you do something through me. I trust you. Matthew 16, 25 says this, and I want you to finish this for me. But whoever wants to save their life, hold on to the past, will what? 
Come on, lose it, right? But whoever, looking to the future, wants to lose their life for me will what? Find it. The scriptures give us very, very clear teaching here that we can't hold on to the past and we can't hold on to the future too tightly because if we do, we will lose and not find life, God's will. And we end on this one verse right here. And it's my favorite verse that has made our family super generous. And it says this, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. This is not the twisted prosperity gospel teaching you get sometimes in churches. This is just the promise that God says, when you take care of others, God will take care of you. He'll watch over you. So don't be afraid. Don't hold too tightly to the past. Hold the future loosely and God will do miraculous things. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now as a people who are preparing. We are preparing uh, to take a giant step in our church's future, to create the infrastructure, honestly, necessary for us to be able to do the good, expect the good, and proclaim the good to Central Florida. Father, there are so many people who are hurting and lost and dying apart from you. And God, we don't want to be Uh, we don't want to be people who miss the opportunity to speak into that. We really do want to show the more beautiful story and remind people, God, that you are so generous that you went first, that you've always had a giving heart towards us, that you're not this cosmic killjoy in heaven who just wants to fall, to, 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 you know, put rules on top of us and to mess up our lives. But Father, instead, what you want to do is you want to free us from our sin. And you did that by sending Jesus. Thank you for that, God. No better gift could you have ever given to us. I'm thankful that even though you gave him and we mistreated him, you still gave him. And Father, we pray right now that you would do something in us right now. Remind us, God, that we wanna be like Jesus. We wanna sacrifice what we have for other people, not just for ourselves. Lord, thank you that you loved us that much. It's in your name we pray, amen.